0: This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by two One Heat Minute Productions. The first, Increment Vice, 45 episodes, deep diving on Paul Thomas Anderson's 2014 masterpiece based off Thomas Pynchon's novel Inherent Vice called Increment Vice, hosted by Travis Woods, produced by myself, Blake Howard, and narrated by the awesome Cat Corbett. Takes a myriad of unbelievable guests through this sort of stoner noir masterpiece. Megan Abbott, Jordan Harper, Drew McWeeny, Matt Zoller-Zeitz, Walter Chor, Karina Longworth, Ryan Johnson. Get listening. And if you're into fiction, it came from the deep. Maria Lewis, the host of our Josie in the Podcast podcast, is here with her very own audio book, It Came From The Deep, and an after show, co-hosted by myself. That's in its own feed. It Came From The Deep. Increment Vice, Search them wherever you get your podcasts. Now, a huge fan of this show for you. Haldeman came to me. He said, the president wants a tape recording system. The Secret Service has a technical security division, electronics guys and communications guys. So that's who I went to. The first thing, he indicated, he intimated that they had done this before. He didn't say, yeah, we did it for Johnson. Yes, we did it for this president or that. But, And he also indicated these things usually don't work out very well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. It's 125 minutes into Alan J. Pakula and Robert Redford's 1976 masterpiece, All the President's Men. And... Along this entire crazy process, what happens is you start to unearth all of the president's heads. I don't know what we're called. We don't really have a name, but there's just people out there who are obsessed with this movie. You know, the clinically obsessed ones are people like Aaron Sorkin and Steven Soderbergh and David Fincher. Um, And then you start to drum up others. And now very recently it, it was brought to my attention that my guest today has had a custom oil painting of Ben Bradley in his beautiful pressed velvet suit walking out of the Washington Post newsroom, tapping his finger in the run that baby moment of the movie, which couldn't be more on brand for this podcast. So instantly you would know that that means that that person had to be a part of the show. Now, that could be enough. That could be their resume enough. If you have a custom made picture of that, you should be on this show. However, this person is also Uh, a voice of an incredibly massive cult animation series, is an actor um, both in sort of famous cult independent films and other big movies and also as foot fetishist on Sex and the City, Um, has been a sometimes podcaster around the place, but mostly uh, Plies his wares right now in in pandemic time and where I've interacted with him and seen him around the traps on Twitter and it was brought to my attention that right there that he was the guy to be on this show. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome James Abaniak to all the President's Minutes. My friend, thank you so much for being a part of the show. This is crazy.
1: Blake, thank you so much. I'm delighted. It was sort of through a Twitter accident, I think that you discovered I was yes. such a fan of the movie. Yes. I actually yeah. posted some clips to the film like a week ago. Yeah. Cause I was watching, I re I revisited constantly. So yeah. I was doing one of my regular revisits and uh, it suddenly amused me how, uh, this is very sidebar, but this is a podcast for this movie, so I guess it's front bar, actually. It's
0: fr- absolutely front bar. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: a major motif in the film is the Canuck letter, a, uh, a, a forged letter that was written to challenge the Muskie candidacy. It's rather absurd to describe. Uh, 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 Nixon's Dirty Tricks people uh, wrote a letter to a New Hampshire newspaper where it was reported that uh, Muskie, who was the Democratic frontrunner, in the 72 race uh, had slurred Canadians. Apparently there were a lot of French Canadian people in New England and New Hampshire, uh, where, you know, the caucuses were and stuff. And uh, this apparently was a huge issue.
0: It was, it, it, it basically <laughs> took him down his entire candidacy. Down.
1: And then he famously gave a press conference in the snow saying this didn't happen and snow is melting on his face. And it's always been an open question <laughs> if he got emotional and cried. So the other side said, look at this weak pussy uh, and uh, who hates the French-Canadians? Could you think of a worse person? Anyway, they mention this letter like four or five times in the movie, and each time they mention it, usually Hoffman, but at one time, uh, Mr. Redford say something like, yeah, it's the, uh, the Canuck letter. You know, the letter that uh, killed Muskie's candidacy. There's always a little, you know, type disclaimer. And so I collected all these explanations, where someone will say, the Canuck letter. You mean the letter that uh, <laughs> where he slurred the Canadians? 'Cause they even <laughs> though these events happened two years before the movie came out, they still feel, yeah, no one really knows what this is. Only the, the nineteen seventy-six equivalent of political Twitter would have known what they couldn't look put it was. Ex- exactly. But I so I kind of I posted that and then I forget if it was you or someone else who mentioned your
0: podcast. I, I, I don't know who who retweeted it into my timeline. But you you yeah. pop, you popped up because someone someone some of my friends goes like retweeted it and like tagged me and was like uh, Blake exactly someone and I said s- you
1: should be on the all the president's been uh, all the president's minutes podcast and I said tell me more and then <laughs> yes. and then we ended up connecting within, within
0: seconds later I was like hello yeah, James you,
1: you, you found me immediately I was like DM me but then I mentioned to you uh, I was sort of pitching myself <laughs> Instead if pitching a video of Dustin Hoffman talking about the Canuck letter in each scene didn't show that I'm obsessed with the film enough. Two years ago for Christmas, my darling wife, Sarah, uh, got me, a commissioned an oil painting from a painter friend of hers. She's a visual artist. And so she knows a lot of artists and a very talented painter, a guy named Kevin Schmidt, actually. Uh, he does pop cultural paintings. He does like paintings of scenes from movies or TV shows. That's part of what he does. So she sent him, behind my back, a screenshot of my favorite acting moment, which like everything in the movie is incredibly subtle. That's what we love about the movie. And you described it, it's after uh, Jason Robards confirms that they can run the uh, John Mitchell story. And it's the end of the day, it's like probably seven or 8 p.m. The office is empty except for the boys and the boss. He's wearing, as you said, evening clothes because it's DC and he's a player. And he's off to go to some banquet or something, which is such another great detail that's never mentioned.
0: No, he's never and, like and, I've got to go to
1: this dinner for Catherine Graham. He's and, just going somewhere fancy.
0: He, he's going somewhere, and it's never explained why a <laughs> no, guy who doesn't wear, so, a, who barely wears a tie in the whole movie, is in a complete bow tie, yeah. beautiful pressed suit. It's, he looks stunning, and he walks and out. And he of there obviously like, like
1: he he changed in his office. <laughs> yes. and then as he leaves, he's like he famously says to them, "Run that baby." Uh, the story that's going to out Mitchell as uh, a major factor in the, uh, the cover-up and the flush fund and so forth. And as he leaves, we see his back and he betrays his excitement by just tapping the desk tapping and then the desk. clapping his hands a little bit, a little slap in the hand. It's just a little... And that's it. And it's such a loaded moment. Uh, it's his version of doing an end zone dance, except it's just a little... He doesn't go, whoo! He just goes... Nah and that's and that's and that performance by the way is one of the things that brought me into the movie it's one of my all-time favorite film performances is robards as ben bradley but indeed and so uh my wife was aware that this was a favorite scene of mine and then uh christmas two years ago one of my presents was that very image beautifully painted by mr schmidt so oh well it hangs in our living room
0: Mr. schmidt and sarah <laughs> sarah your wife the commissioning it mr mr kevin schmidt for 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 actually putting it together. I wrote it down his name yeah. because I know that almost every uh person who's been on this show who has since seen that, like filtering around the internet or come back and seen us interacting about it, or going, yes. That is the most beautiful piece, that is stunning and very, very on brand for this show. But look, it's I mean yes. you you as an obsessive <laughs> who have watched this movie enough countless like, times. Countless. It is unfathomable to most people how much his performance doesn't get old, and how those oh, infinitesimal man. details become these huge things where you could just go back and watch him in every way, in every part of this movie over and over again. And yeah. I and I agree. I, I I can't get enough of those scenes with the boys. Like, it, did he really say that? Because especially Mitchell, who is really actually played really beautifully in Aaron Sorkin's new movie, uh, Trial of Chicago 7. He's played by John Doman, who's uh, Sergeant rolls from The Wire. Um, oh, plays plays yeah. John Mitchell.
1: I, s- I actually don't remember Mitchell. I, s- I watched it a couple of weeks ago.
0: So John, John, John Randolph was the voice who is uncredited. He's the, they vo- found yes. he's the voice of John Mitchell who is... So identifiable in this movie. Yeah. John Randolph
1: and- was a big uh, actor in New York. I'm also obsessed with actors, so I go into <laughs> a lot of corners. No, John Randolph was a big actor in New York. Uh, he sort of came up in the sort of the. I think he's probably of the generation that you know, at least the 40s. Uh, yeah. And it's sort of an old. It was also sort of an old lefty. I think he may have... if he wasn't blacklisted, he was blacklisted. Jason, so it's kind of a sweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, little meta joke that uh, a lefty actor is playing John Mitchell.
0: <laughs> He's like, what time yeah. is it? What, what is time his voice? Is it? uh, uh, I'm, I'm...
1: Uh, It's 11 o'clock uh, in the morning. So.
0: <laughs> no, at night. At night. So. <laughs> <laughs> I. I... There is a couple of phone performances that I always want to replicate in my life that I don't have enough balls to do. One is the John Mitchell, like, what time is it? And then a.m. or p.m. if I'm frustrated on the phone. And the other is the Al Pacino from Heat, which is just when you get the answer that you don't want on the phone, you say, that's wonderful, and you just hang up. Um, Well, there's lots
1: of Heat lines, and I know you did a Heat podcast. I did. Heat is is the height of uh, what I call Pacino's Baroque period, (laughs) where he really... I'm not saying it's bad. It's good. No, no, no. I love that.
0: I love that turn of phrase, though. He's it's Baroque a here.
1: hyper-expressionistic form of acting. Yeah. My favorite Pacino line reading that many people, of course, is uh, because she's got a great ass, yeah. which is a great line reading. But my favorite is the line, give me all you've got, which he says like it's one syllable. He goes, I've got to go away from that. <laughs> Something like that. when he's. <laughs> and
0: yeah. he's shaking the table. And I love <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly. And then he smacks no! the he <laughs> then he smacks his lips and pretends like he's normal for a second as Vincent Hanner in that scene. It's just wonderful. Like give me all you got, and then he comes yeah. back and it's there. But no, I I I can't get enough of him. I can't get enough of this movie. And there's a hypnotic quality. I do it, and it's so comforting to talk to another person who does it. Which is, I watch this movie as comfort viewing all the time. Like yes. it would just just you can just watch it, and there is a rhythm and there is just a confidence and there is a swagger in the Bradley performance and there's just such a capable thing happening that it's like it's never yeah. not valuable to just just to be impressed by it even if it's there's just a there's passing. a
1: swagger but part of the power of that performance it is actually a performance of a person in power it's a yes performance of power yes but the way that he withholds the power in a sense he he doesn't he raises his voice now and then but usually he just kind of talks in this kind of uh, lower, quiet, lower register, yes. and his body language is ostensibly casual. He's got his feet up on the thing, you know, on the desk. But it—it's it, just the power just emanates off this guy uh, in this sort of extraordinary way, and um, and then and then there's the great humor. It's also a very funny script, very great script. So there's lots of humor, and he really delivers all the uh, you know. Nothing's rotting on this except the uh, First Amendment of the Constitution, the freedom of the press, and possibly the freedom to country. Not that any of that matters. But if you guys fuck up again, I'm going to get mad. <laughs> I, 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 any actor would like to deliver A, a little speech like that and,
0: and he, <laughs> It's one of the greatest monologues it's, it's, it's nearly a 60 second monologue It's one of the greatest scenes in the history of cinema yeah, If you no, guys I, fuck
1: up again I'm going to get mad
0: <laughs> But I, I love even the one before it Which is not that any of that matters Like those three <laughs> not that any things of that <laughs> So
1: it's, great I remember seeing an interview with Ben Bradley Years ago And they were talking about uh, the film And he said well I didn't Curse like that. I mean, I didn't talk like that. what <laughs> 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 little self conscious about his betrayal.
0: But, I'm sure
1: Ben Bradley engaged in some shop talk, as we say.
0: Well, the real Ben Bradley himself also was very well known for being proud. He was like, Jason Robards played me. He got a freaking gotcha. kick that Cable Hogue played him. Like, he got a kick out of it. And I think everyone that's on that set, for a guy who, you know, Multiple Oscar winner had such a reputation of like being this like titanic force. Um, yes, you don't what strikes me, and even in the first viewings, it's so hard to even imagine what a first viewing would be like for this movie. But when you watch it, it's not like a star, he's not like a movie star in a traditional movie star way. But from the moment that you even see Woodward glance over to his office, like yeah. which is now basically a hundred minutes ago in this film you know how important he is and the gravity of that entire newsroom then tilts and he is the most important figure in it and they are writing articles for his approval in in many ways along the way and there's just something so powerful about that
1: absolutely yeah Uh, one of my favorite moments is the first meeting with bradley for the first story Yes, stick it inside someplace uh, stick- <laughs> when uh, and where they, and, and also Hoffman and Redford are wonderful because if the power is emanating off of, uh, off of Jason Robards, the the nervousness oh. is uh, is emanating off the boys, and it's really great. And, and uh, Hoffman's sort of excitement and and also it's it's their, it's totally their characters. Hoffman immediately calls him out on his note, <laughs> you know, his rewrite.
0: Imagine having the stones to call out Ben Bradley on the yeah, Exactly.
1: <laughs> and then there's the great moment where Bradley just throws him a look. Doesn't say anything, just throws him a look. <laughs> you really going to do this is sort of the, what's implied. And, and Hoffman retreats. It's so great. And the film is just full of wonderfully subtle moments like this. Also, I got to say, I'm going to use this word a lot, but subtle is just a style. It doesn't mean that a subtle movie is better. No, uh, It's just a style. And the thing is, in this case, it it's just one of the all-time great, powerful, subtle movies. Like, yeah. Sunset Boulevard is a masterpiece as great as this, and it's not subtle, and that's not a put-down. It's no. just a different style. That has a more Baroque, uh, yes. very big style. The
0: whole movie is Baroque. Yeah, whole, yeah and that's it, what it is, and yeah. it should be that,
1: because it's about yes. that kind of person. And yes. But this is about a couple of schmucks just kind of going through library cards and calling people, and it, it should be quiet <laughs> yeah and and it shouldn't call attention to itself and yet that's the power of the movie and so the performances do that as well but every aspect of the film does that yeah just so a
0: Just a couple of minutes ago, as people are listening to it. So folks, if this is your first episode, welcome. You're listening because of James. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. But a couple of episodes, I got to speak to a wonderful actor um, and now writer, Caroline Goodall. So she's in movies like Hook and Disclosure and Schindler's List and Cliffhanger, people would know her from. She's recently turned her hand at writing and a, a little thriller called The Bay of Silence and Caroline Goodall. She just said something to me, James, the other day about the acting in the scene in sort of the after uh, after effects of the Woodstein, you know, when you hear Bradley call out Woodstein and they yes. sort of rush to the office. There's a moment when Ziegler's on the TV screen and they're in the office that Carolyn Goodall just said, from my experience being on sets as an actor, she said, I can tell that Alan Pakula asked them to take the air out of the scene. She's like, you mm-hmm. walk into, and, and all of the tension that you expect from Bradley's big, Woodstein into that cavernous newsroom and have them like scutter from the other one side all the way into his office. Then you have Martin Balsam and you have, and, and just, I mean, it's absolutely outlandish. These actors, you've got Jack Warden and then you've got Bradley all sort of there. I love them all. I love them all. And they all are just wreaking this thing. Like, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. And taking the air out of that scene, almost is a greater agony that any sort of screamy, yelly dressing down could ever do to you.
1: I mean, you can see anger in Robart's face, but you can actually also see sadness and even kind of devastation.
0: Yes. Like, What the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) What did you do? We had so much faith in you two.
1: Yeah. And then it's, it is, it is excruciating because no one's saying anything and you're just listening to this news report drone on. Yes. And then, and then these, uh, and of course this is their this is the big national mistake they made where yes. they where they say that uh, Hugh Sloan had
0: been they, in his they, grand in his, jury testimony. In his grand jury testimony, yeah. So not the, the, the fact of the matter is and why Bradley gets to write something that is in the lead up of the mi- minute that we're going to uh, watch together. But it's, it's that they named Haldeman and that Sloan named him in the grand jury testimony. And no one ever asked Sloan in the grand jury yes. about Haldeman. So they're,
1: they're, they're right in the sense that Haldeman was the fifth guy, but they're wrong in this minor detail, but yes. it is a detail that's wrong. And so the floodgates just open up Yes, and the, the Nixon <laughs> white house and all of their uh, um, enablers just pile on just the way it would happen today. If the New York Times got one little detail wrong about the Trump administration or something.
0: Oh, Trump, Trump, all of Trump's White House press secretaries are the spawn of Ziegler.
1: Oh, 100%. Like
0: like hostile towards the journalists, hostile towards media, non-denial denials.
1: I know, and they tend to be sort of young. Ziegler's like a 30-ish guy. (laughs) He looks just like, what's his face, Trump's first press secretary. (laughs) Yeah. uh, When I'm dancing with the stars, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm slowly letting the past... Uh, look, memory's already... I'm glad that I'm already forgetting names of people in the trunk
0: of Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> so good. Uh, but yeah, but, they're, um, they're all singing his playbook though. They're all... Oh, they love it. The,
1: they are like, Christmas has come early. This yes. is so great that they fucked up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then that's... So this takes you. So then they're really freaking out when we get to our sequence where they go back and check with their
0: FBI source. So... Make sure they weren't wrong. So let's go... If you're... Uh, watching this on it should be the same on dvd on blu-ray on video on demand your two hours and four minutes on the dial james and i are going to watch the minute together right now as they sort of have quite a hostile exchange with joe their fbi source and then we're going to go back into an editorial meeting at the washington post uh let's let's do it talking
1: about it i am not talking to you about or anybody else in fact i can't even be seen talking to either one of you bastards what are you afraid of who got to you are we being set up are we, Joe? Tell them. Are we being set up? Just tell us. We won't.
0: What are you laughing at? Fuck you. you. And fuck you.
1: Thanks to God, I just don't know this. It's in the notes. Yeah, we had another call all along. Listen, I've got another call. I've got to go. Did you mean Bob Holloman? Yeah, Bob Haldeman. Jesus, what was our mistake? Maybe there was no mistake. Then they're just setting us up.
0: And the whole thing was a setup. And they just hung us. More denunciations. You're gonna have to make a statement, then. One senator just gave a speech slurring us 57 times in 20 minutes. I knew we had enemies, but I didn't know we were this funny.
1: Very good.
0: The true tragedy for someone like you, who loves this movie as much as I know you do, is me making you only watch sixty seconds of it and uh, have to That's not quite continue all right. that scene. Yes. So this is the game that we play. I love so much about that scene, and I just love them walking out of this. And, and in the previous minute, I spoke to a, a friend of the show, John Glenn, and he talked about like it's weird that you don't get an establishing shot when you start the Joe scene when they're sort of asking him where they went wrong in this story. But I've always loved that once they walk out of this building and they are completely dwarfed by this big, you know, department of justice building, these two guys walking out there and they're all by themselves. Yeah. I just can't get enough of them going, we're not wrong. They hung us. It's just such a powerful visual scene. And uh, I just, I love it. And then obviously going back into the, the bluster of the office as we do at the end, but I just, I can't get enough of that. How isolated they feel in that moment.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of a motif where we see the two of them while other things are going on. Yes. It's just like, you know, that's how the movie ends is, is you know, Nixon's being inaugurated and you know, they're just plugging away. It's one funny. of my favorite moments like that is, is the, uh, earlier in the film, of course, where uh, they're, they're both writing and other people in the, uh, in the background, in the newsroom are watching something on television. And they're yes. all gathered around and we don't know what it is. We were watching no. it the other day. And my wife said, maybe there was a, maybe there's a game on. <laughs> like, <laughs> the Redskins just won a game. or something. <laughs> But, it, but it's definitely not Watergate related or Nixon no. related, I believe. So it's just like, here's some news that everyone's interested in. And then oh, no. these two schmucks I, are I just think, sitting I here.
0: Th- I think that scene <laughs> is the Nixon renomination. Oh, it's the renomination. Yeah. It's the renomination scene yeah so it, it in the middle of the movie but that's but that's exactly right so these guys could care less about what is a huge thing a renomination of, of exactly. an incumbent and all that sort of stuff these guys are still clattering away on those you know those yeah. keyboards to, trying to make that happen and yeah in this moment it's just brilliant they walk out and there's a great moment also after the deep throat scene that um that woodward walks out of around it's about 109 minutes into the movie where he walks out and he has that freak out moment where he thinks that someone's following him. Yes. And as he's walking back to go to the post, it's just another moment of the whole of Washington, which has now sort of felt like a hive. Like there's lots of activity, like they're trying to find this story it's one of these few moments where Washington feels empty and it feels like there's all these just hostile government buildings where people are inside plotting (laughs) against them. And they're just these little ants that are just trying to penetrate these impossible things. And I, yeah, I mean, we are so close to the climax of this movie. We're essentially 12 minutes away from the ending. And, you know, I just can't get enough of the genius choices of like how much of the plot hangs on the final moments of the story.
1: And the fact that Joe, who appears to be a sympathetic source, works for the FBI, but he, like everyone involved, everyone connected to the establishment, Seem actually more terrified of Haldeman than of Nixon. That's another recurring thing. Yes. Once Haldeman's name comes up, everyone's like, "I'm not going to say anything about."
0: You get nothing. You get nothing from me on Haldeman. Yeah.
1: it's like Haldeman is Jimmy Conway from Goodfellas. <laughs> like they're all afraid of getting whacked. You know, like, I can imagine
0: Haldeman <laughs> smoking, watching after the Fanta oh. heist, just deciding how he's going to kill some people. Yeah, hundred percent. He
1: was trying to separate everyone between him and the robbery. <laughs> him and the him and the break in.
0: Oh my um, god!
1: Yeah, but so Joe, because that scene, I think when Joe really gets angry and says "fuck you," I think it's because he's actually offended that they would think he would be involved in setting them up. Yes, but he's 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 impotent. He's he's a victim of the institutional fear. It's the FBI, but they're afraid of Alderman, and they can only go so far. Yes, and and I think when he's basically he's on their side, but he's just, he, re, he just represents the institution of what's supposed to be law enforcement and investigation. And there's nothing he can do.
0: It's, and then it's, he just loses
1: it because he's, he's upset.
0: <laughs> it's, 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 it's really funny. It was only like today, I was doing a bit of more research around Mark felt and, and why he maybe had hostility towards Nixon and, and things for upcoming mm-hmm. episodes. And I learned that when Nixon started, he put a, a a former submarine commander who was a complete outside of the fbi as the head of the fbi right after jag hoover in order so that he could control that that entire arm of law enforcement because he wanted the control of the justice department and so there's this great thing of you know even though joe has been a low-level fbi agent and he's been their great source it's like exactly as you just said james Nixon actually has his hooks in there. So Haldeman, ultimately, Nixon slash Haldeman, like all of his yeah. inner circle, ultimately still control these arms of the FBI and why you can kind of later understand why Mark felt would be compelled, like the only way that this is going to get out because we're being hamstrung from the investigation is to leak, is to leak this information in any way that we can. So yeah, it's really funny. that Like the fear is real here. We got to go to your boss. When he says you got to go to your boss, it's like there's not many swears in this movie. There's not too many. But like, you know, fuck you, fuck you. I'm not yeah. dealing with you bastards. Like, it's like, whoa, what's happening, Joe? Yeah, like, I can't what's even going be on? seen
1: talking to you two <laughs> bastards. You kind of stammer some of his words. Such a great moment.
0: Such a great moment. And he's never been a fearful guy to this point. In fact, he was congratulatory on their story that kind of nailed the structure of um it kind of nailed the structure of the, the, the fund at the committee to reelect the president. But it's so funny. Now we're talking about Haldeman and how fearful they are. The last time that Joe mentioned Haldeman, other than being on the phone, you had Haldeman as the fifth guy. We didn't have that. We didn't have, yeah. oh, yet Mitchell's the fifth. We didn't have that. Right then and there as the connections between Nixon and, and Mitchell and those five guys and then Haldeman start way, way back in the film. There's that random guy who's standing outside the White House in the line as a tourist who turns his camera around and takes a little couple snapshots of Hoffman (laughs) and Joe, which is I think the scariest character in this whole movie. That's
1: fantastic.
0: It's it's so freakish. So it's right then we start to see. Wow, that's
1: great. And there you go. That's a detail that I don't remember. I'll have to look for that.
0: You gotta look. There's a guy in the White House line, he turns his camera around and instead of taking photos of the monuments, he's taking a photo of Hoffman. That is fantastic. Yeah.
1: There you go every time something new <laughs>
0: every time something new
1: and then joe literally says in that first scene where he meets him outside he, he literally says i follow i follow my orders <laughs> i yeah. was only following all this <laughs> like yeah he... yeah
0: it's uh that's that's going around that's going around yeah. Shall we oh, say exactly <laughs> shall we say that's
1: going around it's an oft-told story
0: god god um sometimes people have said you know, that this movie is a salve and when you watch it sort of rhythmically in the pattern that you do, is it, it, has that changed in 2020 for you now? Like, because this movie for me has always been a salve because of its just meticulous sort of work ethic, but it's also just effortlessness and just like how good you can make something when you're really deliberate at how you make it.
1: It's true. In a crazy way, it is a feel good movie. Yes. But I think I think the twenty twenty aspect is like we say, Sean Spicer was the name I couldn't remember. <laughs> yes. but uh, that, yeah, when you see like Ziegler or just all the <laughs> a lot of the um the real life people who you see on the uh, on the TV, yes. members of the administration and and uh, stuff, um, their language, even the way they speak, their cadence is is perennial. It just reminds you of the way Trump's people speak. Yes, uh, and when they dismiss, you know, anything, <laughs> any accusations, uh, and so that 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 makes you kind of bristle a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I'm drawn to it for many reasons. Just the the the, 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 the acting the the, this, the I'm an actress, so I'm obsessed with actors. But the the time period, the story. I was born in '63, so I I have memories of being a, a little kid. You know, like ten years old and watching the Watergate hearings on TV, like wow. them just being on TV, that being ubiquitous. Another thing I was trying to remember today, which I couldn't, is when I so- first saw this film, because I do remember it the first time I've seen some other classic films, but I really don't remember. So I, I, I was probably like a young man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I certainly didn't see it. I wasn't interested in seeing it when I was 13 when it came yeah. out, but I probably saw it when I was like maybe 19, 20, 21, maybe on. Network TV. I assume it was shown on like Network TV. Yeah. Uh, but uh, since then, I I had a DVD of it. You know, I, I I have seen it projected. I I've seen it a lot of times. And yeah, I I and and in the last few years, I've I've been writing a little, and so I also now, it's just sort of a touchstone for me. I, I check in with it. Sometimes I draw from the acting. Lately, I'm drawing from the writing yes How beautifully structured it is uh so yeah there's just so much to draw from but it is just purely pleasurable too it's really just it's just an old-fashioned movie in a sense <laughs> beyond the subject matter beyond you the know? subject yeah these two these two little guys uh suddenly gain a superpower and uh take on the bad guys <laughs> you know?
0: and and i had i've had a couple of friends who say Blake you're obsessed with this movie it's made in sort of 1975 76 it's about the events of watergate that happened in the united states it's a quintessential american story why do you even care like what what was what resonated with you and i said i don't I, i can't tell you what resonated with me as in as much as when i was doing my last project like the first project that we did on this which is one heat minute every day i couldn't watch heat because i was watching it as part of the research of the show and so if i wanted to watch something for comfort i would watch this movie and the, and the and I always loved it. Like I loved it all the time. If you you know, if you ask my wife, what movies are always in a high rotation in our house, she would say like you know all the President's Men. and She would say Heat. And she would say Fargo. And she would say there's just certain ones that just a like constant rotation. And it was always on. And then it was in the process of, you know, like you said, as you're a writer and you're kind of looking at it as a touchstone, I was watching and unpacking a movie that I thought was a masterpiece every day and examining it like ruthlessly in heat. And I was watching all the president's men as comfort. And then I started ruthlessly unpacking it before I even began this show going, there's no fat on this thing. Yeah. Why, does the, why does the music do that? Look at all these performances. Oh my God. Like, wait, you're telling me there's 12 minutes to go and they still haven't like gotten to a climax and the end is basically these two guys stuffing up. Um, You know, like, why are they they talking in a scene outdoors and letting planes fly overhead? That must have been- Oh, I love that
1: moment too. I I love it too. And I've often wondered if that was actually, because anyone who's done filmmaking knows that's a constant, you hold for the plane if you're shooting outdoors. Yes. And I wonder if that was uh, an accident, which they thought would be fun to not hold for the plane because they're in D.C. and it's just part of the environment. Uh, It's so good. There's lots of little moments like that where it's just sort of the detail of the reality of that city. Yes. Uh, Like they're on on the steps of uh, the Capitol and some some girls in like school uniforms are coming down. And presumably those are extras who were hired. Kids had to show up that morning and, and, and wardrobe had little costumes for them. Yes. But it just seems so... Real. It, be, it just it just gives the sense. Like I say, life goes on. Life's going on. There's people coming on tours here. Yes. Uh, another thing I really love is the production design is really brilliant. Yes, uh, it is. George Jenkins is the production designer. I looked him up.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's it's George Jenkins and George Gaines because the way that yeah George Gaines is the is the set dresser set dresser, and they they collectively won the production design Oscar for this movie. Well, before. there's
1: the production design is incredible. The movie was sh- the interiors were shot in l a. They're shot yeah. at Warner Brothers in Burbank. The exteriors are in d c, but it's so seamless. By the way, sidebar, I'd looked this up. One of the stages they shot on was stage eleven at Warner's, and I'm actually work is starting up again, amazingly, oh. in Hollywood, as we say, and I'm actually shooting a thing oh
0: uh,
1: starting next week that's shooting on stage eleven, so I'm excited to <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 I don't know what
1: set was there. <laughs> i don't know that if if it was the office or if it was like you know the sloan's house but um no, i decided to have some little cosmic connection with the film
0: you're gonna be there and you're I, gonna be there in the newsroom because that's what was there in burbank that's they they re- well th- they they
1: shot in a few stages so yeah. one of them would have been the newsroom another and i don't know what that one was. but anyway yes uh Um, (laughs) the, the,
0: the, the only other thing i would say which is like the hyper specific sort of brilliance of this movie is um i had a great guest of the show um come on and and spot uh when miami when the background of the out of the window of dardis's window was not miami they're like, no, ah. Miami doesn't have any hills. <laughs> it was the only. Oh my like, god, that's so, hilarious! It was like the only spot. I was like, no, yeah, I've grown up in Miami all my life. There's no hills, so obviously that's doubling for LA. Um, uh, but yes. But it, but it's you know there's just something magical. There's something really magical about this whole the whole movie and the way that it all gels together, um, and particularly in this scene again another scene that ends with Bradley's feet up on the desk. You know, like the yes, final frame, his, the final frame words, that we're Scott looking shoes. at. Really scuffed shoes. And they're just all around the editorial table. He starts writing his little note, which uh, which we can slightly cheat with. But I think if we talk about what drawn me to this movie over and again, it's the phrase, fuck it, we'll stand by the boys. Yeah, fuck it, we'll stand by the, boy. we'll stand okay. the boys. We'll stand by the boys. We'll stand by uh, our story. Holy crap, such a, an amazing sentiment. Such an amazing sentiment. Oh, look, James, it's been a real treat talking to you. I hope, that, <laughs> I, hope, I hope the universe of stage 11 at Warner brothers gives you uh you can learn more about that next week and whatever you're doing. It's great. But look, it's been a, yeah, it's just been a real treat to geek out. Oh, you, thank you. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I mean, look, Wonderful. We, we, we could probably talk for about five more hours about every other element of the movie, I but
1: certainly I, could,
0: but, but, but I just, yes, I was, I, I just want to say thank you for being a part of the show right uh, at late notice right near the death to, to sort oh, of gush about it. Please. And, and I, When and- you
1: said uh, maybe a Sunday, which was only a, you, you DM me like two days ago. I yes. said, yeah, let's
0: do it. <laughs> when you came back and said, yes, I'm like, this guy loves this movie. Because anyone who's like read, so ready, it's like, oh no, I'm I'm familiar. I'm familiar, I've been watching this movie for decades and I'm ready. I knew I was like, okay, he's he's going to be one of our guys. If
1: memory serves, what's the next movie you're studying? You Zodiac. This someone you're, yes, because that's another one. And yes, which also has a lot of the DNA of of uh, absolutely President's Men in
0: it. Yeah, look, uh, f- the, there's some really famous, really insanely uh, famous William Goldman mentees that went on to do great work. <laughs> Uh, and it's and a couple of them are like Soderbergh and and uh um uh, Aaron Sorkin and Fincher and you yeah. know they go on to make you know and Fincher and Sorkin obviously collaborate on the social network which is probably one of the closest movies ever to this you know uh to in in the same sort of making something that's dynamic that's based on a true story that's kind of unfolding in the news as they're making it and then still is able to be resonant like a decade later um uh Kind of a crazy feat in and of itself, but yeah, Roger Roger Ebert c- called Zodiac the all the president's men of serial killer movies, and I think that well, that's definitely Zodiac's
1: also a masterpiece. And if, if you need uh, any, uh well, anyway, you know where to reach me if you need I... someone else. To well, film. we're con-
0: we're we're connected. <laughs> There's, there's going to be lots to talk about, so be careful yes. what you wish for. Um, yes. But, well. And, and look, thank you so much for being a part of the show. It's awesome. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Let's stand by the boys, Blake. Stand by the boys. Okay, We'll stand by the boys. we <laughs> will stand by the boys.
0: Would you look at that? James Abaniak, Dr. Venture on the Venture Brothers, Grant on Review, Arthur on Difficult People. Oh, that was fun. Really fun to find another clinical obsessive of this movie. Great, great to chat to James. James, thank you so much for being a part of the show. If you guys want to follow James, the best place to find him is on Twitter. It's at James Abaniak, which is James, the regular spelling, U-R-B-A-N-I-A-K. You can find him there tweeting um, about any and everything, and sometimes about all the president's men. Thank you all so much for listening. For new listeners, thank you so much for being a part of the show. We have many episodes of many shows. One Heat Minute, Increment Vice, Josie and the Podcasts, The Last 12 Minutes of the Mohicans, Miami Nice, and now coming up Zodiac Chronicle when this show ends. Oh, my goodness. Lots to catch up on. If you want to follow us on socials, it's at atpmpod for the show, oneblakeminute on both Instagram and Twitter, oneheatminute.com. And if you can support the show, Patreon forward slash oneheatminute for a whole bunch of extra stuff. We'll catch you on another episode very soon.